Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And you know when you have one of those light bulb moments when a shift in your awareness opens you to seeing the world in a whole new way? I hope this conversation will be one of those times for you. A growing body of scientific evidence has overturned 150 years of thinking when it comes to our origin, our capabilities, and perhaps most importantly, our potential. The bottom line is that modern humans appeared on earth 200,000 years ago with extraordinary abilities such as intuition, compassion, empathy, love, and self-healing already in place. Rather than developing these abilities slowly and gradually over a long period of time of evolution. So, are you the product of something more than random mutations and lucky biology? You may not be what you've been told, and you may be much more than you've ever imagined. I invite you to take a few centering breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind and heart and settle in to your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Greg Braden needs little introduction here on our show. He is a five-time New York Times bestselling author and is internationally renowned as a pioneer in bridging science, spirituality, and human potential. From 1979 to 1990, Greg worked for Fortune 500 companies as a problem solver during times of crisis. He continues problem solving today as he weaves modern science and the wisdom preserved in remote monasteries and forgotten texts into real world solutions. His discoveries have led to 12 award-winning books now published in over 40 languages, and I am so happy to bring him back to you. So welcome back, Greg. Wow. Thank you. First of all, Dr. Julie, thank you so much for the beautiful introduction. I have to tell you, as I was listening, uh, I just kind of uh, let myself listen as, uh, as an observer, and I'm totally intrigued by what you just said and where our program is <laughs> going to go today. So thank you for a beautiful introduction. And I want to say happy 2019. This is our first program together. I'm going to welcome all of our listeners. Happy 2019. And uh, we were just saying off the air, if the rest of this year is anything like the first few weeks uh, have become, I think we're all in for a, a big year, uh, an exciting year, certainly not a boring year. So um so hang on. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for acknowledging that. I, I know I, I was thinking, too, when we were talking off the air, I was thinking of, for, for me personally, I've been looking forward, like sincerely, genuinely looking forward to this conversation mm. for the very reasons that you talk about with 2019 here. It's like this conversation can really help shift our awareness more globally here and really make some incredible 
um, aha moments for some of our listeners. A lot of our listeners are, you know, very conscious evolutionary leaders. A lot of them have been following consciousness and evolution for a very long time. And this conversation kind of tweaks everything a little bit and amplifies it several octaves. So Mm. I'm really looking forward to getting into this. But first, Greg, you know, from last time you were here, I have a traditional first question. And I do ask it over and over when I have repeat guests, because in the moment, it's always incredible what wants to emerge to answer this question. So I'm going to ask you, like the theme of our show here, what does all things connected mean to you today? What I think it means uh, in this moment is we're all in this together. There is no them and us. There is a we. Uh, Our world is changing. Uh, We all know that. Your world is changing. Our listeners' world, my world. And uh, I think it's fair to say for most of us, our world is changing uh, faster than we've been prepared to accept that change. You know, we expected it, uh, but I think we didn't necessarily expect it happening as quickly and in the ways that the world is changing. Uh, And the bottom line for me is that the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to embrace that change in a healthy way, Dr. Julie. And that's, uh, I think, what All Things Connected is really all about. Mm, Thank you. I do like the evolution of that answer because it brings us into this conversation for this book and how to better know ourselves. And uh, you're working on another book. And so I can't wait to hear what this one's about. But the human by design is what I have in my hands today. And I've been waiting to have this conversation about your ideas of who we are and where we came from because we have been following science for so long talking about evolution we've had this you know the debate about the two sides of the coin is it creation or is it evolution and you bring us a new option and it really does shift our our awareness of who we are and how we fit into this greater universe so i would love for you to just kind of give us a a basic introduction to the the premise of our evolution or our creation in this well you mentioned that we've been following science and and i continue to follow science with this book it's the 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 issue is that science has been hijacked in the modern world through um Mm -hmm. uh, agendas and interests that serve uh, specific purposes uh political interests religious interests uh, corporate interests in, in some respects, academic interests. So what is in this book is rock-solid peer-reviewed science, Dr. Julie, that simply is not being disseminated in the mainstream. So I'm sharing peer-reviewed science uh, that is telling a new story about us, who we are, um, and what our potentials and what our capabilities are. And it's a story that you're not seeing in the mainstream classrooms, textbooks, mainstream cable network television documentaries. You're not seeing this in the airport newsstands. You're not seeing it through what I call pop science. So pop science are the commentators that are paid uh, to, to come onto the, the network television programs and, and share their perspectives of science. And in all honesty, uh, in many instances, the pop scientists are not even aware of these discoveries because they are the product, as we have been, uh, of a story. They are steeped in a story, uh, a scientific story that began, uh, began about 150 years ago in the mid-1800s of what it means to be human, where we come from, and what our potential and capabilities are. So before I even 
I even go into the book, though, I want to say what we're, what we're doing here, this is more than a philosophical conversation. I was uh, doing a, a network interview recently, and the, the interviewers asked me, you know, he essentially commented and said, you know, Greg, this is interesting, certainly, but isn't it really just a philosophical conversation? And my answer surprised him, and I would like to just share a little bit about that from my perspective. Uh, I, I mentioned the world is changing. And what's happening is that we are, we're globalizing this planet in a way that has never happened, at least in recorded human history. With 8 billion-plus people, we're being pushed together through cultures. Our cultures are being merged. Our religions are being merged. Borders and boundaries don't mean what they have in the past. The oceans that divide us and the mountain ranges that have separated us are really pretty insignificant right now. So we are pushing together cultures, religions, ways of thinking, the ways that men think about women, the way that women think about men, the way that we think about life. And we're being asked to accommodate this change through the thinking of separation from our past and through the belief that life is the result of a random process of, of mutations that just happened. Lucky biology is what it's called. Uh, the insignificance of life that has been perpetuated through the academic uh, system and, and the belief that nature is based upon competition and conflict. So all of these ideas are the ideas of separation. Competition and conflict are the ideas that we're, we are steeped in as we try to connect and globalize. So what we're talking about, the hate that we're seeing, uh, based upon the color of our skin, based upon our religion, the hate based upon our sexual orientation, uh, the atrocities that we're seeing in civilian populations as well as on the battlefield throughout the world, uh, the cyberbullying of our young people in schools, the, um, the epidemic of drug abuse, heroin abuse, fentanyl that we're seeing not just in America, but we're seeing this all over the world, all of these issues and more as different as they are from one another, the common theme to all of them is they're only possible because of a way of thinking. And it's what we have been taught to think about ourselves, life and our relationship to the world. These new discoveries give us the reasons to change that thinking. So while we can pass laws that make it illegal to hate, and, and we did that, uh, President Obama signed a Hate Crimes Prevention Act in 2009, making uh, hate illegal, hate crimes illegal, that law does not change the way that people feel. And if we're going to go beyond the temporary fix, a bandage, we've got to go right to the core of where these issues begin. And that was why I wanted to, to write this book, uh, because it begins with the way we've been taught to think about ourselves. We're not what we've been told. We're much more than we've been led to believe. And, um, and that's what the book is all about. So I that's my preface I wanted to say before we go into this tonight. And I, I would like to discover or discuss what the book is about. Uh, and before I do that, I'll just take a pause. And does that make sense, what I just said, Dr. Julian? Is there anything that you'd like to, to add to that before I go in and actually talk uh, about what the discoveries are telling us? Well, I will take this opportunity to just say yes and with the pause to really acknowledge the medicine that's in this truth, the medicine 
that's in this book is the medicine for our times right now. And um, the way you do look at science and bring the, the science together in this book to tell the new story, by the way, brilliant format. I loved the keys. I'm going to ask you about that later because I love how you've taken these morsels of truth, this pearls of wisdom that are dropped throughout every page that when we look at at it, at it collectively, it does invite us into a new story of ourselves. And so thank you for pausing for that moment. I want to just agree with you wholeheartedly and I, I also think that the listeners, you know, we've been taught so much and then we, we do know, you know, science, we, we prove a hypothesis and then it's, you know, look at how we've done diet and food. It's like sometimes we just randomly throw it out and then go, okay, I, I give up. But you've <laughs> taken some really good hardcore science and information and, and I guess what, what I should say is that the, the science that this empirical knowledge that we've built our worldview on. <laughs> so it goes down to our roots in thinking, right? It goes down to this fundamental way that we see our world and what we've built our culture on, the ethos and the worldview. So I'm looking forward to having you unpack that. And I guess that begins with Darwin, right? It does, uh, Dr. Julian. And thank you for everything you just said. I I'd just like to let our listeners know that we're talking about science, but it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be technical. Uh, they're, they're ideas. These are scientific principles, and, and I think science is simple uh, until we make it complex through language or mathematics. Uh, nature is simple until we, we make it complex. So I will do my very best uh, to honor our audience, and we'll make this very simple. Uh, and I'll begin by saying I am a scientist. I'm a degree geologist. And what we're going to talk about is uh, 180 degrees uh, opposed to what I was taught when I was in the university system, when I was in, in the colleges. Uh, and it is based upon the evidence. Um, the book, it was very healing for me to write this book. It is essentially two books. Human by Design is written as part one and part two. Part one uh, is, the, is where I, I share the new discoveries in peer-reviewed science that tell us that evolution is not and cannot be our story. Uh, and then number two is what does that mean when we, it comes to the human potentials that we have now, uh, we have access to, how do we awaken those extraordinary potentials in, in our lives? And I'll talk some about some of that as well. So the, the, uh, we begin with Darwin. Uh, and I say this in the book, and I want to be really clear. I, I have a lot of respect for Charles Darwin uh, as a man uh, and as a scientist. So in the mid-1800s, it was a very different world from the world we live in today. And Darwin could not possibly have known in his time what we now know uh, in ours about DNA, about cells. Uh, just to give our listeners an idea, in the 1800s, scientists knew that cells exist. They thought they were like little bags of water. Uh, and, and that was it. They, they had no idea of the complexity of what is inside of, uh, of, a, of a human cell or a cell for any form of life. So Darwin, I think, did the best he could with what he knew at the time. And Darwin also is very clear 
that his theory, when he put it forth, he said, this isn't the theory to end all theories. He said, this is a theory to get us started. It's a stepping stone. And he fully acknowledged, he says, the moment new discoveries overturn my theory, my theory must fall, is what he said, and a new theory will replace it. So Darwin was okay with his theory falling. It's modern academics, the university system. It is the agendas of uh, religion, the agendas of corporations, the agendas of politics and what's being taught in schools that are keeping this obsolete story alive. And, um, and it's, it's, it, you know, it's not about Darwin. Darwin fully realized that his, his work was just the beginning. So what the, what the evidence shows very, very clearly is that modern humans, we're, we're called modern humans, we emerged on Earth 200,000 years ago, uh, and that is agreed upon. So there, if you Google that, scientists don't have any problems with that at all. They, they all agree we showed up about 200,000 years ago. The problem is how did we get here? And where the problem breaks down is there is no physical evidence that links us to the earlier forms of life that we have been led to believe are our ancestors that we've descended from on the evolutionary trees. There, there's no physical evidence that links us to Australopithecus or uh, even Neanderthal. We now know that uh, we did not descend from Neanderthal. And we know these things, the physical evidence, but we also know them because of the DNA evidence. And this is where where the action really is. Just in the last few years, the DNA science has advanced so quickly that what used to be science fiction is now science fact. So Jurassic Park is a perfect example. In the movie series Jurassic Park, the scientists were able to extract DNA from fossils of ancient forms of life. And in the movie, they brought them back to life. Well, we now can extract DNA from fossilized remains of ancient forms of life. That is a scientific fact. It's no longer science fiction. To the best of my knowledge, uh, Dr. Julie, we haven't brought those to life, but you, you know that somewhere somebody's trying to. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we haven't gone that far. But what we can do now is we can build the genome of a Neanderthal man or woman. We can build the genome of... Uh, you know, these, these ancient forms of life, what are called Cro-Magnon, and we can compare them to us. And that is where the new story is emerging, and it's throwing what uh, some people call a monkey wrench, but it's, uh, you know, no pun intended, but the, a monkey wrench into the old theories. Mm -hmm. Because what the DNA is showing us is, number one, we did not descend from Neanderthal. There is not enough DNA overlap to show that we that we came from them. We now know that we shared the earth with them. Uh, we, we interbred with them. Apparently we had Neanderthal boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, back in the day. And that is why if you do a genealogy uh, test today, if you do, you know, 23andMe or Ancestry.com or something like that, uh, people will say, well, you know, I, I have Neanderthal DNA, and many of us do. It's a very small percentage that has been preserved and carried down from those relationships. But if we shared the earth with them, we could not have descended from them. And scientists know that now. They've had to, to readjust the uh, evolutionary trees, showing that 
we did not descend from Neanderthal. But at the same time, what the DNA is showing is that modern, what are called anatomically modern humans, we showed up uh, about 200,000 years ago, as I mentioned. We don't know where we came from. Uh, there appears to be no evolutionary path leading to us. We showed up fully intact and fully enabled with the potentials that we have today. We had when we appeared. So what I'm saying is we showed up and we haven't changed in 200,000 years. We know that because the DNA uh, tells us that we have exactly, we've got the same, uh, the same genome for all intents and purposes. We showed up 200,000 years ago suddenly. We had a brain 50% larger than uh, our nearest primate relatives. Didn't evolve slowly and gradually over a long period of time. We had the same body proportions. We have the same extended neural network that we're going to talk about in just a few moments. Uh, and we haven't changed. So this isn't Darwin's idea of, of evolution. Uh, the DNA studies are now allowing us to do what's called reverse engineering of the DNA. We can take our DNA today and work backwards and see what had to happen to give us the extraordinary potentials that we have. And this is where, um, where science is now in what is called forbidden territory because what has been revealed, and, and we can go into this in more detail if, if you'd like, but there are multiple uh, genetic shifts that happened in a way that is so precise and they happened so quickly. They did not happen slowly, gradually over a long period of time. They happened quickly, very precise. Uh, in, in the case of human chromosome number two, for example, uh, it is the result of the fusion of two pre-existing chromosomes uh, in a very precise way. And after the fusion happened, the chromosome was actually tweaked. There are portions, there are genes that were either uh, added or removed or enabled or disabled. And at the same time, chromosome seven, uh, there was a genetic shift that suddenly gave us the capability for complex speech connecting our, our tongue and our brain and our, our, our jaw muscles in a way that did not happen in 75 million years to any other primate. So, and it all happened at the same time. The Max Planck Institute is telling us about chromosome 7. Uh, we've known about chromosome 2 for, for a long time. The proceedings in the National Academy of Sciences have, have told us this. So these changes... This is not Darwin's idea of slow, gradual change over a long period of time. Something happened 200,000 years ago to give us the potentials that we have, and we haven't changed since that time. So chromosome number two, for example, we know is responsible largely for the, the, the enlarged brain, the neocortex, uh, and the parts of our brain that give us our humanness, our, our ability for empathy and sympathy and compassion, and I'm going to use a word that's going to be key here, self-regulation of our own biology, the ability to do what no other form of life we are aware of can do, and that is to consciously choose to determine in a moment in time that we are going to enhance our immune system, for example, or that we're going to awaken the longevity enzymes in, in every cell in our body, that we're going to consciously create greater resilience to the change in our lives. No other form of life can sit down in a moment in time and choose to do that. We can 
and it's the result of what happened in chromosome number two. So what the science is showing us is that evolution did not and cannot uh, explain what happened. Something happened 200,000 years ago. Forbidden territory for scientists and the reason it's forbidden is because the changes do not appear to be random. They appear to be intentional. And this is where you get into really, really tricky territory in the world of science because if you're talking about intentional changes, it implies that there is a purpose to those changes. So the first part, first part of this book is about those changes in a very non-technical way. The second part of the book is now that we are aware of those changes, how do we awaken the potential that they give to us uh, that in the past has been relegated to mystics and yogis and shamans and monks and nuns, you know, living in monasteries on mountaintops half a world away? How, how do we wake up these extraordinary potentials that I actually believe are ordinary potentials meant to be part of our everyday lives that we simply have forgotten. How do we awaken those and apply them uh, in the modern world in our everyday lives? And that's what the second part of the book is about. Well, that's so a in, good in a nutshell, time. Yeah, did... that's a really good place for us to just pause into that because um, we need to take a break and our listeners can really muse yeah. into this and and let that sink in that something happened intentionally 200,000 years ago and you became human by design and we haven't changed since. Now, I'm going to ask Greg some of those skeptic questions in the second half and we're really going to dig into these incredible potentials that are innate and I agree with you Greg I think I think it's it's more ordinary than we imagine it we just have to really allow ourselves to rest in the awareness of what this really means so mm-hmm. we're going to take a quick break we are here with Greg Braden talking about how you are human by design stay with us we'll be right back You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. You're struggling with your mortgage. You think about it. You don't do anything but think about it. What are we going to do if we lose the house? Where are we going to go? At work. I can't let anybody find out. I'm so embarrassed. At dinner. How can I tell the kids? It's going to wreck their lives. And at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. What's going to happen to us? It's time to stop thinking. It's time to start dialing. Call 1-888-995-HOPE for a free government program that offers expert one-on-one advice about your mortgage options. I'm all alone. No, you're not. We've helped over a million homeowners, and we want to help you. And now there are more ways to help. Call 1-888-995-HOPE or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. 
Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm a volunteer at United Way. I'm asking people around the neighborhood what they think this place needs. Wi-Fi everywhere. More playgrounds. Oh, more ice cream trucks. I was thinking more money in the pockets of local families come tax time. Can I change my answer? I was just kidding about the ice cream. When it comes to getting better tax refunds into the hands of local families, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Empower Radio. Empowering you 24-7. Online at empowerradio.com. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, like I am, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page. All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with author of Human by Design, Greg Braden. You can find Greg's work at gregbraden.com. And Greg, let's just get right back into this. I just want to kind of recap where we were because it's an important shift for many of our listeners. Many of our listeners are evolutionary leaders, are conscious people. They've been following a lot of, a lot of, um, you're my friends that talk about evolution and this is different. And so where we've been is thinking about us evolving over all of these centuries. And there's this clear evidence today that something happened 200,000 years ago and this intentional shift happened that gave us these incredible capacities. And we, entered the planet and we (laughs) were fully equipped with these amazing gifts. So let's begin by talking about these extraordinary capabilities that are made possible by these mysterious changes in our DNA. You, you talk a lot about these innate powers and how we can awaken them and really harness this innate power. Well, I first I realized that first segment we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did, and I intentionally spoke uh, quickly because I wanted to cover that ground, not get bogged down in one particular concept, and do it before our, our station break, so that we could tie back into it. And you know, one of the the first questions that comes up in people's mind, even before we get into how we awaken these things, is is what happened two hundred thousand years ago. Um. And yeah. as a yeah. scientist, as a scientist, I have to say I don't know the answer, and neither do does the scientific community. We don't know, and that's the whole point. 
we won't know uh, until we unshackle our relieve our scientists and our, our young people from the shackles of an obsolete story based on false assumptions of science. It's like it's like trying to put a square peg in the round hole. And I'm I'm just going to share it this way. There's a huge difference, and I, I know our listeners can really really grasp this. There's a huge difference between trying to force every piece of evidence that is recovered into a pre-existing story, uh, whether it fits or not. That's like trying to pound a square peg into a round hole. Uh, If you pound hard enough, it'll fit, but it's never going to be a good fit. So there's a huge difference between forcing the evidence into a pre-existing story, in this case, the theory that began 150 years ago, uh, between doing that and allowing the evidence to lead to whatever story the evidence is leading to. And this is the, the crossroads where science is right now. And when I talk to you know, my friends in the academic community and I, I ask them, you know, why aren't you sharing these new discoveries with your young people? And I, I literally have had friends have told me they, they just want to hang on for a few more years until they retire because they don't want to face the implications of what the new discoveries uh, are forcing them to face. Mm. So uh, why, where, where did we come from? It depends on who you ask. Every ancient tradition that I have ever studied, they have a story that tells us. The, the Sumerians have their story. Uh, the Egyptians have theirs. The Hindus have theirs. Christians have theirs, the Navajo have theirs, the Hopi have theirs. Science has had a story that's called evolution, and now uh, the, the DNA is giving us a new story. The common theme through all of the indigenous stories is that we are pr- the product of some kind of intervention. And I think the evidence strongly supports that. Now, what that means, uh, we don't know. And there are some scientists say we have to, we have to know that, before we can answer the questions, my feeling is, as we embrace, as we embrace the potential that lives within us, it will lead us to the answers, rather than trying to find the answers and then learn how to apply what, what they mean. I, so like I think that. as as we evolve to the greatest potential of what it means to be human, and I think for the most part we have yet to reach that. We don't really know what it means to be human because we've been steeped in a story of separation and powerlessness and helplessness. And so we've been very willing to give our power away to technology uh, and, and to other people. And as we embrace this new, this new story, we become stronger within ourselves. And the better we know ourselves, I'm going to go back to the first five minutes of this program, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear change in the world around us. Because, because our, our sense of well-being is not derived from our external world. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear change in the world. And ultimately, the better we know ourselves, the less we fear one another uh, and the less we fear ourselves. So I you know think what we occurs ha- to me, Greg, when you say that is um, I, I, I appreciate that so much. And knowing ourselves, I'm, I'm just kind of feeling also a comfort in kind of couching this new idea that's that you're bringing forward to us in you you quote Dwayne Elgin's um, work on 
on the living universe. It's kind of like mm. I'm seeing that the living universe is cradling us in this moment as well, that if we can hold this new information of being human by design and couch it within this this cradle, this swaddling um, information of a living universe that we're still a part of. You know, we're we're still a part of this amazing, incredible living universe. Um, it kind of gives us comfort. It it does, and what's happening is it's forcing the scientific community to catch up with the evidence. Mm. So the scientific community has a story. Uh, the academic community has embraced that story, evolution. Uh, it's being taught in our, we're teaching our young people in the classroom, even though we know it's no longer true. They're being taught false assumptions of science. Uh, and there, uh, there's a whole generation of young people who are about to embark upon their life journey. Uh, and they, they want to contribute to understanding who we are, where we come from, and they're being required to do so within the box of the false assumptions and, and the science that we know is no longer true. So this book was an invitation to free them from the encumbrance uh, of those ideas that are no longer supported by the evidence to allow those young people to, to find the deepest truths of our existence. Uh, ultimately, we're gonna, we'll have to do this at some point. Yeah. We will have to do this because the evidence that used to be called anomalous is there are more anomalies than there are now that story, so the anomaly is the new story. And I think what it's doing is religion will have to catch up with these discoveries, science will have to catch up, and the lines that have separated these things in the past, I think, are becoming very blurry. And I don't think it's either or. I think we're going to have to develop a new vocabulary, Dr. Julie, to, to accommodate what this higher intelligence that's implied, what does that mean, and how did these changes happen? Um, you know, and there are all kinds of, of ideas about what that means. Uh, so it, it frees us to think differently about ourselves. We, what we know is we're not an accident of biology. We're not the product of a random mutation from lightning striking a, a pool of ooze, you know, 200,000 years ago or whenever it happened. So now as a geologist, I have to be really clear. Evolution is a fact, and I'm not denying evolution. I've seen it in the fossil record in plants, animals, insects for myself, and I've seen it in primates, and it definitely is a part of the primate story. But evolution breaks down 200,000 years ago when it comes to us. Something else happened, uh, some kind of uh, an intervention, uh, and we're the product of that, and we haven't changed since then. So I, I just wanted to clarify that, and, and, and now you know, we could spin our wheels wondering and thinking about that, for me, what's important is, now that we know that, what is the potential that those yeah. genetic changes gave to us, and, and how do we awaken those in our lives? And that's the second part of the book. And what we begin to find is that the uh, extraordinary capabilities uh, of shamans and yogis and mystics and monks and nuns that have devoted their lives to understanding uh, are now available to us in our living room, you know, after dinner. Uh, you don't have to give away everything you love and, and lose your family and move to the other side of the planet to embrace these, these potentials. We know that the average human body is made up of about 50 trillion cells, and every one of those cells, and I'll just speak to our listeners. Listeners, every one of the cells in your body 
is the equivalent of a, of a tiny electrical circuit, and, and we know this. Every cell in your body stores energy. It is a capacitor. It's a resistor. It's a transistor. It stores information. It receives information. Uh, it accesses information. It stores light. They release light. <clears throat> and we have the ability to synchronize those 50 trillion cells in our bodies and to harmonize them and apply that energy in really positive, powerful, healing ways in our bodies. And, and where this begins is with the new discoveries of neurons like we have in our brain, but they were discovered in the human heart. Uh, and discoveries actually published in 1994. They were, uh, I think, discovered in, in 91. So we now know that the heart does much more than simply pump blood. The heart uh, has neurons that work independently of the human brain. Our heart remembers, it thinks, it feels independently of the brain. And it is possible for us to harmonize these two powerful, potent, separate organs into a single system. It's possible to harmonize the neurons in the heart and the neurons in the brain through breathing uh, and through very specific practices. You harmonize these, and when you do, that's when you unleash these potentials that we're talking about of deep intuition on demand and the ability to strengthen our immune system when we want to and to awaken the longevity enzymes in every cell of our body and to create resilience to the change in our lives and, and so much more. So it begins with our ability to harmonize these, these two systems, uh, the heart and the brain, in, in a way um, that is a very simple to do. Uh, and it, these techniques, I describe the techniques in the book, they're being taught in corporations for stress reduction, uh, worker productivity, uh, they're being taught in the United States Olympic, uh, to the United States Olympic teams in Colorado Springs to optimize uh, athletic performance. They're being taught to all five branches of the U.S. military, including the Coast Guard, uh, to opt optimize their experience. And they're also being used in refugee camps, Syrian refugees and, and others who have experienced tremendous trauma to, to rebalance the trauma uh, the, the biological trauma in their bodies to open them uh, to healthy, healthy ways of bracing their experience. So I'm saying this, I'm giving these examples, so you know it's, you don't have to go into a room and light the candle and burn the incense and listen to special music, you know, and uh, you can, but we don't need to. So yeah. they're, they're very practical uh, ways to access uh, our ability to, to open these potentials, and they are only possible because of what we were given 200,000 years ago. Yeah, so let's just pause and, and let that soak in a little bit, but that what, what you're saying in this moment is the ability for us to harmonize our heart and our brain, that there's this small brain within our heart and the systems begin to work together harmoniously creating these very unique capacities that no other species has on the planet. Yes, and it's a very different way, and I fully acknowledge this is a very different way to think about our bodies. I've had heart surgeons, cardiac surgeons, and I've had neuroscientists in our, uh, in our audiences in seminars I've offered throughout the world. I was just in Bucharest, Romania. I was just in uh, Paris. I was just in 
Switzerland, uh, just in London. Uh, and we had people, and here in the U.S., doctors are saying, why don't we know about this? How come we aren't taught this in medical school? And, and part of it is because the discoveries are so new. The idea, we were taught, number one, when I was in school back in the 1950s, 60s, and early 70s, I was taught the brain is a master organ in the body, and the heart is simply a pump. And when the heart stops pumping, you find you either have a machine that does it or you get another heart and, and put it in the body and it pumps. And it's true. The heart is an awesome, magnificently engineered pump. It pumps really well. But now we know that may be the least of what the heart does. Now we know that the brain, while it is not the master organ in the body, the brain releases the chemistry into the body based on what the heart tells it about its experience, based upon the signals it receives from the heart. There's a conversation. And every moment of every day, it's a two-way conversation between the heart and the brain. The heart is sending the signals to the brain to tell the brain what, what chemistry to release into the body. And the heart's signals are based upon our perceptions. And this is where we begin to assume responsibility for our health and well-being because we get to determine what those perceptions are. If we're, if we're in fear, how do we resolve that fear? If we are uh, having perceptions of anger or hate or jealousy or rage, those are sending very specific signals from the heart to the brain and the brain releases the chemistry that matches that into the body. And if we are feeling feelings of gratitude and appreciation, for example. Compassion is what the, the Buddhists teach in uh, the Tibetan Buddhists. That sends a very, very different signal from the heart to the brain, and the brain releases a very different chemistry into the body. So I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that any emotions are bad. I, I believe that there are no bad emotions. We feel and experience whatever it is that we feel and experience based upon the way we interpret what the world shows us. And we each interpret it uniquely through the filters of our, of our childhood and our experience and our, our growth path. So there is no right or wrong interpretation. The question is, what do we do once we have those experiences? Do we have the tools to, uh, to resolve the hurt, to resolve the anger, to resolve the fear uh, and this is where, for me, where the, the new frontier, this is where the action is. Yeah. Because as we learn to resolve what life shows to us in a healthy way, they're just experiences. It's when we don't know how to resolve them that we store those chemicals in our bodies that are the equivalent of the experience. Every experience creates a, a chemical called a neuropeptide. Those neuropeptides are stored in the tissues of the body if they are not resolved at the time uh, and reconciled at the time that they're formed. If they can't metabolize and move out of the body, our body says, hey, I'll do you a favor because you don't know how to deal with this now. I'm going to store it for you, and you come back. Uh, don't forget me. And come back, and you know, when you know how to resolve whatever the emotion is, uh, and then I can flow freely again and, and metabolize through the body. So this is... For some people, it's right up their alley. For some other people, it's a very different way to think. The new science <clears throat> is telling us this is what's happening. And I, I had the honor uh, of knowing uh, Dr. Candace Pert, 
the, uh, the Harvard-trained medical doctor who wrote the book entitled um, uh, Molecules of Emotion before she passed. She, she passed in 2013. <clears throat> and she was the first that scientifically linked very specific chemicals called neuropeptides with the emotions in the body uh, and the ability that we have to uh, either allow those neuropeptides to flow freely in the bloodstream and metabolize or through perspiration or, uh, or to, to uh, those neuropeptides become stuck. We store them in the body because we don't have the ability to in that moment to, to be able to, uh, to reconcile whatever the emotion is around them. So we are given the ability to transform our perceptions in positive and healthy ways as we awaken to these possibilities. So the, the science is showing us the biology, and our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions are showing us the techniques and now the mm. science is bearing out the techniques in the laboratory because they understand the biology. So this is where we come full circle with, uh, with this, this human experience. And we marry the best science of the modern world with the wisdom of, of 5,000 years of human experience. And, you know, Dr. Julie, if we can do that without judging it, if, if we can honor the experience of those who have come before us and what they learned. They didn't know the science, definitely. They didn't, they didn't have the science. But they sure understood the relationship to the human body. And if, if we can marry what they have left for us with the best discoveries of the modern world, then we weave those into a new wisdom that I think is it's more than the science by itself. It's more than the spiritual traditions by themselves. And it gives us the evolutionary edge to move through this tremendous change that we're seeing on the planet in a really healthy way. And, and I think that's, that's the future of medicine and that's the future of, uh, of our healing. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm like so there and I'm thinking uh, about this expansive new way of being on the planet when each of us individually learn how to harness this intuition, compassion, empathy, love, our self-healing, or, you know, all of these extraordinary abilities that we've talked about by harmonizing the heart and the brain, and then bringing that into life with us, you know, bring that to work, bring that to relationships, bring that, you know, to our neighborhoods, and collectively, how hopeful that story is that we we become ignited and we work as this collective that's harmonizing not only head and heart individually but now connecting up you know a, as a collective and in really harnessing the power of of that collective consciousness coming from heart yeah well it is uh, it is like i said it's a very different way to think and you know for our listeners, what I invite all, all listeners to do is, uh, you know, I never try to convince or persuade anyone of anything. We all have a toolkit uh, of the, the tools that we've developed to get us through life. And we consciously or subconsciously, we reach into that toolkit every day and we apply what we learned. And, and when it works, I think that is awesome. Yeah. What we're finding is more and more often now we're faced with challenges that we don't have the tools to deal with or the tools that used to work are no longer working as well. And when that happens, 
That's the beauty of understanding what we're talking about now. So I'm going to invite our listeners, when that happens, if you find yourself faced with something and, and what you've done in the past isn't working or you simply don't have the tools to deal with it, rather than struggle by trying to force old methods to solve the problems, I'm going to invite you to, to let those old methods go and embrace the new potential, the new wisdom, the new human story uh, that informs you of this extraordinary capacity that you have to, to awaken, whether it's, it's the healing of your physical body in a health condition or whether it's the healing uh, of a relationship that requires you to have a deeper intuitive understanding. All of these are accessible to us when we harmonize the heart and the brain. It's the doorway. It's not the end. You don't just harmonize the heart and the brain and then say, okay, I'm done. You can, but yeah. it is the doorway to so many of these other potentials. And then once you do that, you say, how do I choose to apply this, uh, this harmony that I now have in, in, my, in my body, in my biological temple? How do I apply this harmony? And if it's, if it's a, the healing for yourself that you need, what you're doing is you are literally synchronizing the firing of neurons in the heart and the brain and directing that energy uh, in a really, really potent and very healthy way. And if it's, if it's about understanding um, what's happening in your relationship or in your job or, you know, whatever it is, deep intuition, heart intelligence is the, the new term that is being used. Uh, it was developed by the Institute of Heart Math, is the, uh, the pioneering research organization that has, has really opened the scientific door to so much of what we're talking about now. Uh, and I'd encourage our listeners, if you're not aware uh, of them, to, to check out the, their website, HeartMath, H-E-A-R-T, capital M-A-T-H, all one word, dot org. Um, all kinds of information on there. You'll find a lot of my work on there as well. Yeah. So we can access these deep states of intuition when there's no one else to ask and no one to turn to and Google doesn't have the answers, you have the answers from this heart intelligence and you're actually tapping neurons that are linked to a collective wisdom. Uh, and I think you'd be amazed at, uh, at the difference that it can make in your life. Mm. I'm just, I, in the interest of time, I know it's hard to go into a lot of these things in, in a lot of detail, but... Um, I just want people to know these things are available and what the new discoveries are showing us. And it's all based in peer-reviewed science. So it's yeah. not, not you know, a new age theory and it's not channeled and it's not a hypothesis. Although all those things are good. If you are a person that likes uh, to anchor new ideas in something that is proven and demonstrated, uh, then that's what we're talking about right now. Beautiful. We there's so much more in the book. I really don't want this conversation to end, Greg. <laughs> We're talking well, with Greg Braden, author you know, of Human that, by Design. There's so much more to be said, isn't there? Well, there is, and what we could do is call this part one. Okay. And, um, it, and if you call call my office and um, and work with my uh, the person that does these, I'd be really happy to do a part two with you, Dr. Julie. 
Oh, thank you. I would love to do part two because I want to talk about consciousness as well and weave that into this conversation. So there's mm-hmm. so much more to be said. And I'm not even going to have time for a close with a quote, but I'm going to post it on Facebook because it's a beautiful quote that I, I really want our listeners to um, read. So again, thank you so much, Greg, for joining us today. This has been incredible. Dr. Julie, thank you uh, for your kind invitation. This is my my first day of interviews for the new year, and you're among my first. So thank you for being among my first. And uh, all of our listeners, thank you all for everything you're doing, just to to be the best people you can be and then make the best world possible. And I look forward to our next. Excellent. So do I. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.